Genesis 15. Genesis 15. This is a very, very important chapter. This is actually a huge chapter, argumentably the most important chapter that we've studied in quite some time in our study in Genesis. Now, it's not real long. It's only 21 verses, and it's important to do it all in its context. So I am going to try to do the whole thing tonight, Lord willing, time willing. And the verse we're going to really focus on is about Abraham and his walk in relationship with the Lord. But there's so much in this chapter. So we are going to have to skip over things a little bit. And you may say, well, that's important. Trust me, we'll get back into it. But it's kind of important to get the context of what's going on here. So without much further ado, Genesis 15. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now let's stop there for a second. I think sometimes we make the Bible too complicated. So when I see this phrase, after these things, after what things? The stuff of chapter 14. Lord comes to Abram and says, do not be afraid. Well, why does God tell Abram to not be afraid? I think it's an easy point. Abram was afraid. You know, if you have to tell somebody to not be afraid, it's probably because they're afraid about something. What was Abram afraid of? Well, in Genesis 14, he just battled these kings, if you remember correctly from our study a couple weeks ago. He just militarily just had this wonderful victory. Maybe he was afraid there was going to be a counterattack. Abram is now a general. Also in Genesis 15, 14, he just had this amazing spiritual encounter with Melchizedek that we talked about you know, a couple weeks ago. And Abram tithed, all, uh, tithed 10% of his possessions to him. Maybe there was some questioning of what's going on. This is what I've noticed in my 20 years of walking with the Lord. Anytime you have an amazing spiritual victory or high, be careful of those valley moments. It is so easy to get caught back up in this world. You have this great spiritual moment. I love every year we go out to pastor's conference. And for like two, three days, you hear this amazing teaching. You don't hear anything about the world. And it's just this focus on God for two, three days. And then you come back and you're back into the world. You go from this amazing spiritual high to this low in some ways. Abram had this great victory in chapter 14. Haven't you ever a day like that? It's a great day, a great day in the Lord. You get home about 9, 10 o'clock at night, you're sitting there. All of a sudden, just the adrenaline wears off, and you kind of just start thinking about stuff. Here, Abram just had this great victory. Are they going to come back and fight me? (laughs) I mean, are they regrouping right now as we speak? He's afraid. So God comes to him and just tries to make this point very clear to him. Don't be afraid. That phrase, do not be afraid, is mentioned 48 times in the Bible. 48 times God is trying to tell you to do not be afraid. I think one of the biggest emotions that we deal with as humans is fear. And I'm going to be quite honest with you. If God tells you to not do something and you do it, what is that? That's sin. I had a situation a couple weeks ago where I was thinking about stuff, dwelling about stuff, and I was allowing fear to get the best of me. I was driving home from a hospital visit. It was getting late at night, and I was finding myself getting fearful. And I just had to confess and repent to the Lord right now. Lord, I am sinning by walking in fear. And I'm sorry for that. Because what happens is I'm not trusting God. I'm trusting emotions. I'm trusting the situation that I want to control. So God comes to Abram. Do not be afraid. And look at the two things that he tells him. I am your shield. I am your protector. And I will reward you. So Abram... No fear. If they counterattack you, I'm your shield. I got you covered. I'm also your reward. Abram, you just gave away 10% of everything you own to this guy that appeared out of nowhere. I'm your reward. 
Have you ever had that moment where you're getting ready to drop your tithe in the tithing box? And you're stopping and you're thinking for a second, boy, my car could use some new tires. Or, you know, there's that bill coming up. Or maybe the Lord laid on your heart to not even, even more than the tithe, maybe a special offering for something. And you start thinking of all these financial obligations you have. I'm not trying to become this faith pastor teacher, but you know what? You can never outgive God. He's your reward. God's going to bless Abraham. He's going to keep Abraham safe, the shield, and he's going to take care of it. So God deals with it. But look at Abram's response, verse 2. Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Elziar of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. This is an honest conversation with God. Abram says, okay, I get it. You're, you're going to take care of me. You're going to protect me. But God, do you remember? Back in Genesis 13, you, you promised me descendants. Back in Genesis 12, you promised me descendants. You know, Abram at this time is 90 plus, And he's saying, where's this at, Lord? I am all for being honest in prayer. I, 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 you, you can't hide your emotions from God. I think sometimes we try to mask it. We're going through something very difficult. Lord, I just want to praise you for this great day. You don't mean that. The honesty is, Lord, I'm struggling. I am really struggling here. And I need you more than anything. Abram comes right out and says, I know you'll reward me. I know you'll watch out for me. But where's my offspring? Lord, I know you said you'll meet my needs. You, you do know I have this bill coming up. You know that, Lord, right? Lord, I know you said you said not to be afraid or nervous or worried. You, you do know this week at work, there's something big. You know that, Lord, right? That's what Abraham is basically saying. It's almost like he's trying to remind God, remember the promise you gave me. Now, I'm all for being honest in prayer, like I mentioned. Part of prayer, though, is listening. Look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one should not be your heir, but one who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars. And if you are able to number them, and he said to him, So shall your descendants be. You can be honest in prayer all you want, but you've got to stop and listen. I know too many people that are very honest in their prayers. They give it over to the Lord. But when the Lord wants to respond with them with comfort and peace... They don't accept that comfort and peace. I've had people come up to me and say, you say all the time, pray. I pray. I, I, I'm not getting anything out of this. And I always ask them, are you listening? See, because Abram could have stopped talking after verse 3. That's prayer. Lord, where's my descendants? Where's my heir? You promised me this. Amen. I'm done. Part of prayer is listening as much as it is talking, if not more listening than talking. We are really good at asking God for things, but we're not really good at listening to what his answer was. Abram could have shut the door of communication after verse 3, and he never would have had those great promises in verses 4 and 5. Part of prayer is listening. If you are struggling right now in your prayer life, maybe you have something you're giving over to the Lord, and you're constantly giving it to Him. Or maybe you're struggling with something right now, and you're praying, and you just don't feel like there's that, that response that you need. Simple question, are you listening? Are you, are you allowing God to respond to it? See, Abram gave his request honestly, but the Lord gave this response. Look at the response one more time. Verse 4, you will have an heir from your body. You will father a child at 90 plus. You will do it. In verse 5, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Now, God builds on this point. 
In just a few chapters, he says, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars and also as the sand on the seashore. Isn't that amazing? And his descendants are. Over the span of history, how many billions of people have lived that were Jewish? How many millions of people right now have Jewish heritage in them? God did it. He did it. And I was, when I was studying this lesson and kind of preparing this, they were talking about these amazing verses about your descendants shall be as numerous as the stars, as numerous as the sand on the, on the seashore, etc. But then this guy brought up this verse. And I've heard this verse before, but I've never thought about it from this perspective. You know, if you're taking notes, write it down. It's Psalm 139, Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God thinks about you more than the sand on the seashore. Is that not amazing? I mean, I think about as a parent. If I'm ever away from my kids, I'm always, I wonder what they're doing. Now, this is God saying, I think about you, James, more than the sand on the seashore. That shows how much God cares for you and loves you. So when you get in this dark spot in life and you try to convince yourself no one cares, no one understands, no one gets it, God is thinking about you more than the sand on the seashore. Do not allow that dark cloud of depression and discouragement to get the best of you because you have a heavenly Father who is in heaven constantly thinking about you. Oh, that's an amazing thing. Amazing thing to think about how much God thinks about us. Boy, He just loves us. He just loves us. Now, we're going to stop here for a second because that's the first part of the lesson. It's a practical part. Don't be afraid. God's going to reward you. He's going to watch out for you. He'll fulfill His promises to you. Be open and honest in prayer, but also listen back in prayer too. And we're also introduced to this concept that God is saying to Abraham, Don't worry. I got you covered. You're going to have a kid. That's going to come up here in a little bit. Anybody got any first, any quick questions, comments about that part before we move on here at the second one? Robin. 17 and 18. Psalm 139, 17 and 18. That's what I call a great refrigerator verse. Anybody else got anything? Okay, now, what's Abraham's response to this? Verse 6. He believed in the Lord and it accounted it to him for righteousness. That verse is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. When someone comes up and says, how were they saved in the Old Testament? They were saved... Genesis 15, verse 6. It's not by obeying the law. It's not by following the law. It's not by animal sacrifices. You are saved by believing in God and He gives you righteousness. If you're taking notes and you like this type of stuff, this is the first time in the Bible where the word believed is used. It's also the first time in the Bible where the word righteousness is used. Righteousness is a big fancy theological word that just means to be made right. So when you are righteous in the eyes of God, you are made right. Your sin has been taken care of, and you're made right. I can walk around saying, I am righteous. Not because of what I've done, but because God has made me right. And how was Abraham saved? By believing in this. And God says, since you believe in me, I will now give you righteousness. Please go with me to Romans 4. Romans 4, Paul takes this and builds on it. This verse is so important because it's teaching us all the way back, all the way back in Genesis, you are not saved by anything you do. Abraham was not saved 
by anything you do. If you think about that. If somebody would come up to you and say, is Abraham going to be in heaven? Well, of course. Well, how did Abraham get to heaven? Abraham existed before the law existed, so you can't say he got in by some silly sacrifice. Well, how did he get in? He got in just like you and I did, by believing. Look here in Romans 4. Pick it up in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? What, what has Abraham done according to the flesh that got him into heaven? Verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So if Abraham got saved by works, well, Abraham could boast, but he didn't. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed the God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So basically what God is saying here is, if you want to work for your salvation, go ahead. But you're just digging a deeper hole every time you do it. Because you can never do enough good to get entrance into heaven. And to be honest, the way the system works, one sin and you're out for good. And even more than that, you're born into sin. You're born as a sinner. You can't get in. You have to get in by the simple statement of, I believe. And if you weren't with us on Sunday, I encourage you to get a copy of Sunday's lesson. Because we talked about what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. It's not just merely admitting that Christ exists. It's not just merely admitting, I believe in the idea of God. It means placing your faith and trust in who Christ is. Abraham was saved because he said, my life is not my life. I believe in God and I trust that God will give me righteousness even though I'm a sinner. Paul takes this point and he utilizes to make a key point here in the book of Romans. You are saved by God's grace. Let's build on this. Go to Ephesians, please. Ephesians. Head to the right from Romans, just a few books. Ephesians 2, please. Ephesians 2. Let's look here at verse 8. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith... And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That verse, I hope, is marked, underlined, starred in your Bible. For by grace you have been saved. What is grace? Grace is the gift that God gave you, salvation. It is through faith. You just trust and believe it. It's not of yourselves. You, you can't do anything for it. And it's not of works, verse 9, lest anyone should boast. But let's just get this abundantly clear. Abundantly clear. Baptism is wonderful, but it does not save you. In any way whatsoever. Some of you may come out of a church where you had catechism. Catechism has some good points to teach you theology, but catechism does not save you in any way whatsoever. Some of you may have come out of a church with the idea of, of, a, of the importance of first communion. Communion is wonderful. It doesn't save you. What it saves you is when you stop and you say, I'm a sinner destined for hell, and it's by the grace of God that I get to taste heaven. And I know this is such a fundamental point, but I'm going to be honest with you. I sometimes have conversations with Christians that I think got it, and I've known them for a long time. And every now and then, they make a little comment that it almost sounds like they still think there is something redeemable in them. That they still think that, that maybe something they did 
God looked down on Seth. You know what? This world is destined for hell. But I see you, and I want you. There's nothing desirable in you. The previous chapter in Romans 3, Paul makes the point, there's nothing desirable in us. If you think the Lord saved you because you're going to be a great person to use in this witness and testimony, God saved you just because He loves you. And it's by grace. Nothing else played a factor into it. Nothing else. Because if something else played a factor into your salvation, then you were not saved by Christ on the cross. You were saved by something theologically called grace and... And it's not grace and blank. It is grace alone. And that is a point that has to be made clear. And some of you may be saying, come on, James, we're the Wednesday night people. We get this. I'm glad you get it. You're going to go into work with somebody tomorrow who thinks they're saved because they went through catechism. You're going to go into work with somebody who thinks they're saved because they got baptized. You're going to go into work tomorrow with somebody who's saved because they would jump through some religious hoop. They think that. They've convinced themselves of that. They're not. They're saved by Christ and Christ alone. And if that point does not come out clear enough, then that's why we have to reiterate this point again and again and again. You guys may got it. Great that you got it. There's about 4 billion people in the world that don't got it yet. And it's our responsibility to make sure that they get it. Saved by grace alone. How was Abraham saved? Genesis 15 verse 6, by believing in God. This is before the law, before circumcision, before anything, believing in God alone. So, we need to stop at this point. i got a lot of other stuff I want to say, but this is the only point that matters right now. So, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about this? Because this has to be understood. For us to be the proper light and witness to the world, we have to understand what saved us. So, therefore, we can go save other people through Christ as well. Any quick questions, comments about that? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Genesis 15, 6, Romans 4. We've got to make sure that's covered. We're all on the same page. Oh, tweets. And that's a great point. If you keep reading in Romans 4, just like Renee said, verses 9 through 12, Paul makes that same point there. And I encourage you, uh, like Renee was mentioning, if you don't have anything to do tonight for devotions, just read Romans 4. It's a great chapter that just basically says, God saves you. That's what saves you. Somebody else had a hand up. Shirley. Um, if you're saved through Jesus, then how Right. That's a great point. We're getting into a bit of a deeper subject here. What most people believe is this. Is if you take the passages that are in Ephesians and passages that are in Peter and passages that are in the book of Acts. What a lot of people believe is this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that there was a... The Old Testament uses this word called Sheol that had two compartments in it. One was a compartment of blessed of uh, righteousness, the ones that were saved, and then there was one of, of torture, of punishment. This is talked about in Luke chapter 16. There's two compartments. A lot of people believe that when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that he went down to Sheol. If you look in Acts chapter 2, it says that he went down to Hades. Hades is just the Greek word for Sheol, which is the Hebrew word, so it means the exact same thing. So in Acts chapter 2, Jesus went down to this area, 
And according to Ephesians and 1 Peter, he led captivity captive, meaning he took those righteous Old Testament saints and said, you have been waiting for this. This is what you believed in, and I'm going to personally escort you into heaven because I'm the one that can open the door of heaven for you. And so then they went into heaven through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. And so now that righteous compartment of Sheol or Hades is empty because Paul wrote and told us, Absent from the body, present with the Lord. As soon as we die now, we have immediate entrance into heaven through Jesus Christ. It's almost like these Old Testament saints were waiting for someone to unlock the door. And while they're waiting for someone to unlock the door, God says, Hey, I'm going to give you a taste of what heaven's going to be like. Here's paradise. Here's paradise. You can see that in Luke 16. So Jesus came, unlocked the door for them through his blood, gave them entrance into heaven. Now that area, waiting room, if you will, is now empty. Please do not confuse that with purgatory in any way whatsoever. That waiting room is empty. And now as we die and we taste death, the Bible says we have immediate entrance access through Jesus Christ into heaven. So Acts 2, I believe it's Ephesians 4, and I believe it's 1 Peter 3 or 4. All those verses together kind of give us the picture of that. But that's a very good question, Shirley. Ryan. Yeah, I I believe he was referring to Abraham's bosom. And Abraham's bosom is what's called in Luke 16. Jesus calls it paradise when he's on the cross. And and I believe that's what it is. Right. Yeah. That's my personal opinion is I think that's what he was referring to. And and some of you that was maybe raised in a mainline church, and I was not. I was always been raised in a non-denominational church. So I I can't remember what it's called. I think it's the Nicene Creed. Is the Nicene Creed. And doesn't it say there that he descended into hell? Now, hell is a bad translation because King James translates it hell. And when we think of hell, we think of pitchfork, fire, and all that other type of stuff. The the better word is is Sheol or Hades, which just means abode of the dead. And what happens is if you died in the Old Testament, you either went to the good side or the bad side. And that's what it kind of means there. In Acts 2, the Bible says that Jesus went down there and basically kind of took care of it. That's a great question. Yeah, Rose. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that Luke 16 is, and that probably is the best chapter to just sum it up the most, the best way to sum it up is this idea of uh, two compartments. One is being blessed, Lazarus. One is being tortured, the rich man. Interesting thing on Luke 16, since we're talking about passages to read, I encourage you to read Luke 16 tonight. It's a great devotional there as well. And all the parables that Jesus ever taught, he never referred to anybody by name. It was always these generic names. And Luke 16, he's literally calling somebody Lazarus. A lot of people believe that Luke 16 is not a parable. Jesus is saying, here's a true story. And don't confuse that Lazarus with the Lazarus that died and rose again. That's a different Lazarus there. So a lot of people believe Luke 16 is not a parable, but it's an actual true story of Jesus is talking about this is what happens when you die. So, And if that leads to more questions, feel free to grab me. It's kind of, I don't want to say it's a tough thing, but you just got to take all the puzzle pieces. You got to take the puzzle piece from the Old Testament. You got to take a puzzle piece from Luke 16. You got to take a puzzle piece from Acts 2, one from Ephesians, one from Peter. And you take all those puzzle pieces, put them together. And then you have this wonderful picture of what happened to the Old Testament saints. Anybody else have any final questions, comments here before we close up? Because it's after 8 o'clock here and we got to get going. So I wanted to finish up Genesis 15. 
It didn't work out. So we will pick up there in Genesis 15, verse 7, because what happens after this point, you see God confirming the covenant with Abraham and the Jews and what that means and what that represents. So, hey, let's let you go with the word of prayer here, and I hope you'll be blessed. Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you now. I just think of what you told Abraham. Do not be afraid. I, you know, I'm the shield, I'm the reward. For those here tonight that are struggling with some nervousness, some fear, some anxiety, Show them that you are their shield to not be afraid. If there's someone here struggling with the promises or just, Lord, are you going to meet my needs? Show them that you are their great reward. And most importantly, Lord, your grace is what has saved us. Thank you. Help us not to just internalize that, but to proclaim that boldly and loudly. It's by grace we have been saved through Christ. Thank you, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.